Good morning. Man, it's good to see y'all. You doing good? Feel good? Pumped up? Ready to go? A couple things I want to bring to your attention. Growth groups, uh, boy, just right around the corner. If you're not a part of a growth group, I would just want to know why. Um, Let me tell you what growth groups, let me tell you what that's all about. It's it's all about doing life with a small group of people that honestly um, become your, your very best friends. People that act as accountability partners, people that are there to help you through the deepest, darkest, nastiest stuff that you can go through in life so that you don't feel like that you're alone. It is a part of Bible study, absolutely. We want to make sure that every growth group, every small group at Springwell, when we get together, that we're deep in the Word, but it's more than just being deep in the Word to walk away with an acquisition of knowledge and, and puffing up with pride because we know more. That's, that's not it. It's not it at all. Um, if, if we don't know how to apply what we learn, what's the point of learning it, right? That's, that's why truth is in the Bible, so that we'll understand truth, so that we'll know how to live out that truth in a, in a very sweet way. And it's doing life with, with people that you can be open and honest with, that you can talk about uh, the struggles that you have. Uh, I'm actually uh, in, a, in a group where I've been doing life with folks for, I guess, 25 plus years. And uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty sweet deal. So if you're not a part of the growth group, I, again, I would just say, why? why? Why do you want to do life alone? Why would you want to do it by yourself? Why wouldn't you want to connect with a few other people? I know that I need that. I need people that I can trust, people that will speak into my life, people that will challenge me, people that will love me, people that will encourage me, people that will get up in my cornflakes sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, that, that love you enough. And here's the thing, you, you will respect them enough and you'll love them enough that when they speak to you, you'll listen. So uh, we still have sign-ups. Sign-ups are going really, really well, and uh, we're grateful for that. But uh, there's always that one person, that one couple you've been kind of waiting, you know, putting it off, thinking, hey, I'll do it maybe next week, maybe next semester. People often say this to me about growth groups, oh, I'm going to take, take a semester off and rest. I go, why? It's life given to me. Uh, being a part of a, of a small group is life given to me. I don't, I don't want to take a semester off. I need that in my life. And so um, maybe, maybe you're just in the wrong group. Maybe you're in a group with a bunch of losers. I don't know. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Gosh, don't tell anybody I said that. Oh, that's right. This is going out over the internet. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe that's a lack of your commitment. So let me just encourage you to do that. Second thing I want to talk to you about this morning, September the 8th. You don't want to miss September the 8th. Uh, You'll hear me say this on September the 8th, that literally it's, it's been a year in, in, in the coming. This, this day has been a year in the making. And uh, I am so, so excited. Uh, I would say that there was a chunk of years uh, that for me as a pastor, I felt like I was more on defense than offense. And uh, if, you're, if you're a parent, maybe you understand that, what it's like to fight for your family, to fight, uh, you know, for your kids, to fight for their, spiritual, uh, their spirituality, uh, just, just to fight for them. Are you, are you with me? So they don't lose their minds. And so if you understand that, you probably understand a little bit of what I think, uh, I, at least I felt like I went through for a chunk of years. And, and I was just fighting. I just wanted to hold my ground. You know, I wasn't trying to, 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 to conquer another mountain, to, to win another hill. I just wanted to just save what I had. And we fought really, really hard for several years. And I felt like God spoke to me maybe a couple of years ago. But one of the things that he said very specifically was, now it's time to be on offense. I said, yes, I love offense. And so I love being aggressive. And so on the 8th, you, you're just going to hear part of that. I'm just going to be able to share with you. No, I'm not retiring. 
I've heard that rumor. Are you retiring? No. I'm only 39. <laughs> Silly. Who would retire at 39? So anyway, so no, I'm not retiring. Uh, but I do want to share with you some, some things that God's been saying for a very, very long time. And I, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Also, you know what? This can be one of those days where you think, well, you know, do we need a lot of visitors here that day? Absolutely. I think this would be the perfect day as we really talk about vision is what it comes down to. We're going to talk about some vision things. And I think it would be great for every unchurched person that you know of, that person that you work with, that's cynical, that really doesn't believe, that neighbor that makes fun of you because you go to church. I think it would be a great day for you to invite those people to say, you know what, this is the heart of, of, of God. This is the heart of what a church should look like. So I think you should invite every unchurched person you can. Because we tell them the nasty, ugly truth about who we are. It's the sweet truth, right? It's the sweet truth, right? <laughs> Help me out. Help me out a little bit. Cool. Well, today we're going to talk about, I know you're going to be glad that you got here, uh, that, you're, that you're here because we're going to be talking about the word discipline. Thank you. I got one amen, a few omes, a few of you with your mouth still open. In particular, we're going to talk about self-discipline. Is it getting any better? Probably not, because really we look at discipline and self-discipline as being a really horrible thing, right? It's kind of a Debbie Downer. Every time you talk about self-discipline, you always end up feeling worse about yourself than you did to start with, okay? So let's, let's just define it. Maybe the problem has been, and you just didn't know how to define it. So I went to the old internet and Googled it, and so here's the answer that I come up with. It is a pattern of behavior where you choose to do what you know you should do rather than what you want to do. Now, don't you feel better about discipline? <laughs> Probably not. It's the inner power that pushes you to get out of bed and exercise rather than sleeping in. Are you feeling better about yourself? Probably not. It's the assertion of willpower over more basic desires, and it is synonymous with self-control. Are you feeling good? Are you excited to be here this morning? Are you thrilled that we're talking about discipline? Probably not. Here's the thing. I could probably do a whole series on discipline, self-discipline, and in the end, every week we would progressively just get worse. The crowd would probably progressively get thinner. And probably the last week, if we did a four or five-week series, it would be me and the band. You think, I'm just going to take that week off, right? Because no matter how disciplined you are, I could always take somebody in the Bible, some Bible character, and we could look at how disciplined they are, and we, by the end of the series, we would just all think, dude, I'm nothing but a loser, right? And no matter in what context, we could tell the story of, of several people and what they accomplished through all of their self-discipline in life, whether it be a physical thing or a mental thing, and, and we probably, you know, would just think, man, I'm real, I'm real excited that that was something that they could accomplish. Maybe it inspires us a little bit, but at the end of the day, we probably would all just want to kill them, wouldn't we? We would probably think, Ugh. no matter how disciplined you are, there's always somebody else that's more disciplined, right? I mean, you get up, you go to the gym, you're there at 7, you feel pretty good, but you realize there were people there at 6. And they're walking out, smile on their face, whoo, I'm done. And then you would show up at 6, you would realize that there are people that get there at 5. And you'd go, that's crazy. And then you'd get there at 5, and you would realize that there were people sitting out in the parking lot at 15 minutes till, just waiting 
with great anticipation, with fire in their belly for the gym to open up, right? No matter how disciplined you are, there's always somebody that seems like that they're more disciplined. And while on one hand you're inspired, on the other hand you just want to kill them. The interesting thing about discipline is that things that often start out as a discipline actually over a period of time can become a, a pleasant habit. In fact, they can almost become an addiction or an obsession. Some of you are very health conscious, right? There's probably five. Is there anybody? Okay, yeah, thank you. There's, there's a couple folks in the house. And probably in the beginning, you know what, you said, I'm, I'm just going to, it started off as a discipline, and you said, I'm going to give up sugar. I know it's awful. I'm going to give up sugar. I'm just going to stay away from sugar. You read all the things that white sugar can do. You're, you're convinced that the reason you feel the way you do is because you have, way, you have consumed way too much white sugar. And so you say, I'm, just, I'm not going to have white sugar anymore. And then, then it was sugar, and then maybe you went to caffeine. God help us, you know. Uh, and so maybe it was caffeine, and then you turned into one of those freaks in what started off really as a discipline. You didn't want to do it. You didn't want to give it up, but you knew it was going to be the right thing. Now that one thing has become an obsession, and to be honest, we don't like being around you a lot. It's just convicting. You know, you see us drinking our drink, and you go, you know what's in that? No. And I don't want to know. I'll die happy. That's maybe what you're thinking. So now, you know, what started off really kind of as just a discipline now has really worked itself into a very healthy lifestyle. The other thing about discipline is that it almost always, I said almost always, results in progress. You eat right if you eat right if, <laughs> I thought I'd just emphasize that, if you eat right and you exercise, I mean, you'll, you'll lose weight. I mean, things will just happen. I'm living proof of that, right? Why are y'all looking at me like that? I mean, really, I'm not kidding you. Here's the thing I know. You know, I've, I've told you about this lady, and this lady's really good, and the thing that I've learned is if I do what she says, it works. It actually works. Principles, those eating principles, if you do what's right and you exercise, it actually works. And the thing of it is you can have progress even if you have a bad attitude. Don't you love that? You don't even have to like it. I mean, you can hate it. I mean, you know, if you maybe you just did something out of sure discipline, you had a bad attitude, but there's still progress. Maybe you hate working out. Maybe you hate eating right. But the thing of it is, is if you do that over a period of time, you will see progress. And in many areas, I love this part. In many areas of your life, when you apply discipline, self-discipline, there's actually freedom. Freedom. There, there's a place that you can come and find rest and freedom. For example, how about in the area of your finances? There's a lot of people that probably would say, I'm in the mess that I'm in because I'm not very disciplined when it comes to my finances, right? And so you're spending money you don't have for things that you don't even know you need and probably don't need to impress people you don't even like. Think about that one. That'll get you right there. Isn't it? It's pretty sweet. I've been saying it for a long time. 
And the thing of it is, is if you apply, if you get on a budget, if you get on a plan, and if you stay on that plan for a period of time, you actually will find yourself free from the burden of debt. In fact, I heard somebody say it like this a few years ago. I'm probably twisting it a bit, but I think I get at least we get most of it right. Discipline is doing what you don't want to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. I'm just saying, it's freedom to be out of debt. And it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's difficult when you start off and you're young in life and you, you get that first mortgage on your house and you have to get a 30-year. You don't have a choice but to get the 30-year. You can't make a payment for a 20-year mortgage or a, or a 15-year. So you do all that you can do, but you have a goal, and you say, you know what, at least what we're going to do is we're going to make one more payment a year. It's so far out, most people can't be disciplined enough to follow that plan out. But if you do, there's financial freedom. There's freedom. So in essence, discipline is just all about delayed gratification. Now, the reason we're talking about discipline today is because we're in the middle of this series called Base Camp, and we're talking about how to grow spiritually. It's the basics on how to have this full-on love for Jesus. And these are things that we're going to talk about. Jonathan talked about the Bible last week. These are the things that are fundamental. They're absolutely fundamental to growing our faith. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of private disciplines. And the first one that we're going to talk about is prayer. Aren't you excited? Say yay for prayer. Cool. Whenever you talk to people, whenever you talk to people, you look at somebody and you think, you know what, I don't, there's something different about you. I mean, you walk different, you talk different, you have a different attitude. I mean, you get into a, a tough situation, you just seem to be able to handle it better than the average bear. There's something different about you. And if you were to say, what is the difference? And they were to say, Jesus. And you were to say, well, how do you, I mean, like, how do you develop this relationship with Jesus? One of the first things that they would tell you is that, man, prayer. Prayer is just a sweet thing for me. It's, it's been about my journey with him and how I've grown through the process of prayer. They would talk to you more than likely about having a quiet time or a personal devotion time. And they would talk to you about being in the Word and how God speaks to you through the Word. Jonathan did an excellent job of talking to you about that last week. And then they would talk to you about prayer, about what it's like to sit, not just to talk to God, but literally to listen to God. We even did a series this summer about how to hear the whisper of God. It's a discipline. It starts out as a discipline. It's, it's a decision to carve out time in your day for God. The second discipline for fully devoted followers of Jesus has to do with your money. Aren't you excited? Let's just everybody clap right off. Let's go ahead. Woo! And I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't know if this will shock you or not, but I'm just going to be honest with you. For a lot of us, it just started off as a gut-wrenching discipline. Can I just be honest? Can I just say that when you started, you know what? You weren't crazy about it. You knew the word taught it. You thought you should probably do it, but you really didn't want to do it. Most of us think, I don't have enough money. I'm, I can't afford to do it. But you know what? You decided, you know, I heard that message. The preacher beat me over the head with the Bible, made me feel pretty sorry and low down. And so I thought I would start. But it started as a discipline, not a love. But then it turned into a love. And now you love to give. Now, believe it or not, this isn't a message on giving. Everybody said, amen. 
It's a message about growing your faith. Because faith is, is like a muscle. And here's what I've learned over the years about exercise. If you want to build up a muscle, what you do is you go to the gym and you do, maybe you'll target that particular muscle. Maybe it's your arm. Maybe it's your bicep, it's your tricep, it's your legs, whatever it is. And you target that particular muscle. And what you do, the goal is to push that muscle to a point of exhaustion. It's so what you want to do is you want to literally tear that muscle down. And then you, you leave the gym and then you rest. You give that particular muscle so much time to rest. And then you come back and you tear it down again. And over a period of time, those muscle fibers become, become uh, stronger. They, they become thicker. They become larger. You look better, and you want to show off, right, at the gym with short shorts and tank tops. I don't know. But it's all about the process of building, tearing down, and rebuilding again. The very same true as our faith. Let me tell you what my experience has been. And I say my experience, but let me tell you what. You go to any character in the Bible, and you'll find the same thing to be true about them. What my experience has been is that God will often, he will often stretch or exhaust our faith in order to build it up. It will be difficult times, times that we don't necessarily like. I mean, it's, it, you don't have to have faith when you're on the mountaintop. Hello? Y'all with me? I mean, when you got plenty of money in the bank, you, you know, you, you, you got that brand new house, it's pay, you paid for it. You got that brand new car, well, you paid for it. You walk around in brand new clothes that you paid for. I mean, it didn't take a lot of faith. It's when times are difficult. It's when you're straining to make that payment. It's when you're in a relationship, and that relationship is falling apart, and you don't know what else to do. It is in the difficult times of life that God has used in my life to actually grow me, to build my faith. And these private, personal, spiritual disciplines are a part of that. Today, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Let's jump in. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, he doesn't use the word private disciplines. He says your righteousness, or a better translation, might be your righteous acts. These, these are acts. These are disciplines. And then he says, don't, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. In other words, do them in private. And then he adds this little caveat. I think this is neat. He says, if you do, if you do them in public, then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he sets up this whole conversation. I think it's pretty neat. He says, I'm going to talk to you about some private things. And I'm going to talk to you about some private things. And honestly, you can do them publicly. I mean, you really can. I'm going to talk to you about a couple things that you should do privately, but you can do them publicly. But I just want you to know that if you do them publicly, there's just not going to be a reward for you. Now, how many people notice the word reward? Go ahead, raise your hand, because I did. How many people would love to say, I love rewards? I love awards, I love rewards. I mean, if it's money in the bank for me, I'm all for it, right? So, I mean, I kind of picked up on that, and then he just kind of uses this to bring emphasis as we go through this passage. So then he mentions the first act of righteousness or discipline that we're to do privately. And so here's what he says. He says, so, when you give to the needy. Now, let me tell you what kind of giving this is. This is different than what you might be thinking. This is what they called alms giving. And uh, you may have seen pictures of this. Some of you are like me. Maybe you're a little old and you've been around for a while and you've seen some of those old Bibles. 
And the old Bibles, did you like the old Bibles, the ones that had pictures in them? I like any book with pictures in it. I'm, I'm not just a, am I the only one? Thank you. There, there's some of us, some of y'all are going, oh, I'm way too educated for that. I'm just saying pictures are great. And so I remember, I remember those old Bibles, and there would be those pictures, you know, of these people that as they're, they're entering into the temple, you know. And so they look kind of righteous. I mean, I don't know how you draw a righteous person, but they just kind of look righteous. And then there would be all these people that would be, you know, beggars, um, poor people. There would be lame people, blind people. There would be all of these people that would be destitute, and all these people would be on the outside. Have you seen those pictures where their hands are out? Or maybe for some of them, they would have that, that tin cup. So what you need to understand is what he's talking about. These people would actually bring extra money. Extra money. Hello. Let's say it together. Extra money. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because here's the thing. They weren't expecting the church to do that. There, there was something about the people of God where they said, we just expect people that have a heart for God to overflow with the love of God so that if they see a need, if they see a need, if they look and there's a man that's destitute, there's a woman that's destitute, there's a family that's struggling, and we just see a need, we'll just kind of meet that need. It wasn't a real systematic kind of thing. In other words, it wasn't the church, and the church had a line item budget to give away. This was just the people of God. I think it's cool. And I think you should know that. I just think that's awesome. That the people of God can be trusted to meet the needs of the people in their community just because they saw a need. And then this is really important. This is really, really important. This was not the tithe. This was not money that the devout Jewish people automatically gave to support the temple. This was above that. Now, y'all are having fun right now, aren't you? I can just tell you're just thrilled. You're writing this stuff down. I, don't wanna, I wanna make sure I get all the notes. And I read that devout Jews are just going to get better all the time, let me promise you. So I read that devout Jews in the first century were already given somewhere between 10 and 18%. Aren't you excited? I'm not talking about money, though. I'm talking about faith, okay? I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about money. Some theologians believe that they were given as much as 20%. Can you imagine? This is crazy. So you've got this group of people, they're on their way to church, they've already got their tithe envelope marked over here, Bible read, whatever you check on those things. I don't even know. But you, you've got that. So you put it in your envelope. They've already got their envelope filled out. They're ready to give that. And then these people would take extra money with them. And they wouldn't go in the church and say, okay, there's some people out, you know, there's, there, there's, some, there's some people out there in front of the church, and, and it doesn't look good. And all these beggars, and it doesn't look good. And we tithe. And just what does our money go for anyway? And I think that out of our money that we should be taking care of these people. The beauty of this was that there was a group of people that's hearts were so in tune with God, they carried extra money with them just so they could meet the needs of those people. You having fun? Hang on, we will. So they're already given a big chunk to keep the temple thing going, and this is in addition to that. And then he says this. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've, they've received, there's that word again, they have received their reward in full. 
And based on the context, the reward seems to be that what they received was honor from people. So in other words, these people would, you know, they would kind of like, like they would be celebrities. And so, so maybe every week, you know, old Bill would walk down through there and, and people would say, oh, Bill, Bill's a great guy. He's awesome. I mean, Bill, every single week, he, he brings attention to himself as he stops, as he leans down, as he takes his money, as he gives it to the person. And maybe he backs away. Maybe everybody claps for him. I don't know exactly how that thing kind of worked. He said, but here's the deal. His reward, I mean, good, thankful that somebody's willing to meet a need. But the thing of it is, is what Jesus is saying is so he just received his reward. That's what I want you to know. And the, the reward that he received is all of the applause of people. Then he says this. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, and there's that word again. What is it? Yeah. So when your father sees that what you display is his heart, a heart of love and compassion, and a heart that says that you're so important that I'm willing to take extra money, and I'm willing to, to save extra money, to make sure I have extra money just so that I can, like, be a reflection of my father and just meet the needs of people, people that are struggling. Now, you know why the Jews were given over 20% because there's a reward, right? No. That's why, you know, you, you find around here we don't talk as much about the stuff that we do as we probably should, and I, I'm really sorry. Um, I do struggle with it. I don't know if I'll ever get any better. I, I try to get better. And I know that you should know. I, I know you should. And you should know that we house homeless people here four times a year. We do it for a solid week, and, and we love on families that are destitute and without and we provided a place next door that has showers and there's a kitchen. And we did all of that because we, we just want to meet the needs of people that are broken. And, and every Christmas, every Christmas, we, we give away $20,000 or more. We just give it away. And we won't tell people who we are. But that's why. We don't wear, we don't wear Springwell t-shirts. We don't wear Springwell hats. We don't walk up and say, well, on behalf of Springwell Church, we want to buy your groceries today, ma'am. Uh, we want to pay for that set of tires. or we, wanna, we, don't, we don't do that. But just so you know... This is where this comes from for me, is that we just, we just should do it. You know, we should just be a reflection of Jesus, and it shouldn't be brought attention on us. And so that's kind of the way I feel the way I do, and there's a reward. And honestly, this is where some preachers would say, if you give more money, God will bless you with more money. That's what most preachers would say. And let me say, Karen and I are a testimony. We believe with every fiber of our being, you cannot outgive God. You can't. You absolutely can't. I've never, not one time in 35 years of doing this, have I ever seen a giver ever come up to me and say, that's a bunch of bull. I'm never doing it again. Never, not in 35 years. What you learn is that there is a reward, and sometimes it is financial. And Karen, what I would, t would tell you that we have what we have, God's just given it to us. He's just blessed us over and above. We don't have enough money to buy what we have. It's just God. But that's not the context. And if I told you that, I would be selling you, I'd be selling you the wrong bag of goods here. That's not what it says. 
Jesus seems to say that, you know what, when you give in private, that your heavenly Father will see that you're giving, and he'll reward you in private. And that may be financial, but it may not be. So there's going to be a reward as you privately give and fund the things that are closer to the heart of God. So I have to ask this question. What, what if you really believe that? Like, what if you believed this text? What if you believed it? What if you believed that when you took your hard-earned money and you funded what God's doing all over the world through the, you could do it through this church, because literally, we have missions all over the world. What if, what if you believed that as you took your hard-earned money and you gave, what if you believed that God saw that and he decided that he was going to reward you privately and personally as you behind the scenes gave? What if you believed that? I don't know all of you individually, but I would argue that one of the reasons that you're not more generous, honestly, is because you don't believe it. You just don't believe that, that given, there's going to be a reward. That God's going to bless and he's going to take care of you. And you know what? The issue has nothing to do with money. That's why this message has, it's not a given message. Because this has nothing to do with money. It has to do with do you trust God in his word? And see, for a lot of us, we would say, you know, honestly, I know it sounds good, it's church Sunday morning, but i got to be honest, I really don't know if I can trust God to do what he says. Now remember, when you, where does your faith grow? Does it grow when you're on the mountaintop? Probably not. It grows down here when you're struggling. In other words, Karen and I have always been, always, always been challenged to give when we don't have it. There's been times when I literally have said to God in a, in a not-so-nice tone, God, doggone it, if you told me yesterday... We had the money yesterday, but we used the extra money to pay off that bill. Now we ain't got it. Now what you want me to do? And, and he, just in the God voice, he's so sweet. Trust me. And I will say, I could have yesterday, you know. So he talks about money and then he moves on. <laughs> Aren't you glad? So here's what he says. He says, and when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites that love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received. There's that word again. You see that word? What is it? And we're talking about prayer. i got to be honest with you. And so I started studying this passage again. Can I just be honest? I really never, ever considered, never thought about it. It's not like it wasn't there. But you know how we do sometimes? We start off real good. Our intentions are good. We start off with a verse. We study it in detail. And we leave out the last word. You know, that last little sentence, that last little phrase. And we kind of just don't think about it. We think, I got the meat out of the first part. And what he says is, Jesus connects praying with rewards from your Father which is in heaven. Now, let me tell you what kind of prayers he's not talking about. He's not talking about foxhole prayers. Y'all know what foxhole prayers are, right? That's when your life's in a mess, life's gone south. That's when you're being pinned down by the enemy. You're broke. There are no atheists in foxholes. Let me just tell you. Care who you are, what you say you believe, or what you don't believe. When your life's in a mess, when it's a life or death situation, I promise you, you will pray. Now, your prayer might be something like this, and I've had some atheists that I'm really good friends with, and I'm grateful for that, that have said to me, oh, I prayed. Oh, yeah. 
I prayed, Scott. I prayed, God, if you're real, if you really are the creator of the universe, if Jesus, if, if he really was your son, if this whole thing is not just made-up story but it's real, then if you'll meet my needs, I'll believe. He didn't, he didn't meet my needs, so I didn't believe. I said, you missed it. I'm not talking about that kind of prayers. I'm talking about a different kind of praying. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Let me tell you what I've learned in my life. And, and that's the good thing about talking to old people. We can tell you about stuff we've learned. And I've just learned that there's something honoring to God when you take a slot out of your busy day to pray. And I do that. Now, I didn't do it for years. For years, I, I did it, but I didn't put it on my calendar. And then it hit me one day. I don't know, 25 years ago, maybe, 20 years ago. I'm not sure the time. But I, I remember the thing that I noticed about my calendar was every, I learned to put my family on my calendar. If it was a date night with Karen, I put date night with Karen. If it was, you know, date with Emily or Katie, if it was, you know, a father-daughter day, I put that on my calendar. In fact, it's a whole story that goes with that. And I'd get my girls together, and I'd say, what day do y'all want? And it was Thursday, and I'd pick them up for school at 2, and we had the rest of the day till bedtime. It was just, it was for me and them, and it was important to me, so I put it on my calendar. What I noticed was I didn't put God's time on my calendar. Y'all probably a lot more spiritual than me, and so you've probably been doing that for a long, long time, but, but I didn't. But I, I said, you know what? God's important to me. And so what I did was I put that on my calendar, and so I would go to God in prayer, and I would say, God, here's the thing. I know, I know I'm dependent on you. And I love to do it in the morning. Some people aren't morning people. I get it, and you can pray at night and pray for the next day. I really don't care what your thing is. I'm just telling you me. So I want to start every morning. And so literally I put it on my calendar from 6 till 7 every morning. I'm hanging out with God. I'm just me and him. And so I'll tell him, God, I'm dependent on you. I cannot navigate my day without you. I know I'm dependent on you. And Lord, you know, you already know what's coming because you can foretell the future. You already, you're in the future. And so you already know all that. And so, you know what, just prepare me, walk with me, give me the strength and the wisdom and the words that I need today because I'm, I'm dependent on you. And then you know what else I do? That, that, that's not good enough for me. What I've learned to do over a period of time is I've learned to say, and God, I just got to be honest. I'm hanging out with you today because I want to. I just like being with you. I mean, being with you is like the most encouraging part of my day. And so God speaks to me. He'll speak to me through his word. Again, last week, Jonathan talked about the importance of the Bible. And so in my prayer time, I incorporate that, that scripture reading where I'm focusing on the Bible. And, and so God will show up like a best friend. And some people are offended by that. I, I don't care if you're offended or not. He, like he and I are best friends. and So we show up, and then he, he, he speaks these most incredible, encouraging words into my life. And he tells me that he loves me and that his love for me is secure and that it's finished. What he did on the cross was finished to tell us that. And you, I know it's an old story, but I, I remind him of that. And, and I say, God, I just I want to be with you because I need you. I need the encouragement because I'm going to face the day and, it's, and life's going to be overwhelming. I'm going to hear news today that would bring me to my knees. And because I walk with you, and God, I'm not trash, and I'm not junk. I'm not. And it's not because I'm special, because I have great talents or abilities. It's because I'm your kid. I'm just your child. 
And so I need that time with him. Are you with me? So I tell him, I need you. Sometimes it's conviction. Sometimes it's just, you know. But here's the thing. No matter what he says, no matter if he's telling me, whispering in my ear and telling me that he loves me, or whether he's reprimanding me for a sin, the thing of it is, is I can embrace it because I know he loves me. So I can trust him. Then he says, he says, then your father who sees what you've done in secret, he, there's that word. He just, it just keeps coming up. He will reward you. Now, if you were to talk to Christians, people who've been following Jesus for a very long time, if you were to say, what's the reward? What's the reward? I want to know. Like, if you pray for 10 minutes, is it 100 bucks? I mean, what is it? You know? Like, is there somewhere hidden in the Bible somewhere that if you pray for 20 minutes, it's worth 20 bucks? I mean, is there, is it, so what's the reward? If you think that it would probably be that God answered all our prayers, that's not true. Because God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we, he, we want him to. You know, sometimes, sometimes he says yes, and that's cool when he says yes. And sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. And sometimes I go, God, is it wait or no? <laughs> I don't know. Like, should I hang on and wait, or did you say no? And sometimes he says, wait and see. And I go, that's not like quite answer me. You've got to be in vain. He goes, I know. But it's about the relationship. And it doesn't matter what he says. And I wrote this, and this is just important to me, maybe not you. No matter what he says, I can rest in his love. Rest. That's the word. I can rest in his love. So what's the reward? I can't speak for every Christian. I can tell you what it is for me. It's intimacy with him. Because when you have intimacy with him, I'm telling you, nothing else matters. It really doesn't. You could care less. You know, you'll say, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave. I mean, what do I care? Really? Well, y'all would care. <laughs> like if I was naked, y'all would care. But that, that's what I'm talking about. Are you with me? So, here's where I want to land for today. My challenge for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's my challenge. For the next 30 days, two weeks, five days, I don't care. Whatever amount of time you choose, I want to challenge you to give God the first few minutes of your day. Just try it. And, and, and put it on your calendar. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, really, put it on your calendar. Say, all right, God, here's the thing. And, and you know what? I, I, spend, I spend about an hour. But I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, long, long time. And, and it, it takes me longer. He knows me. He created me. And so he, he knows that it's just going to take a while. You know, I got a long prayer list, and I pray through that. And then, then he and I just need to hang out, and then I need to shut up and listen. Because prayer is more than just talking, it's listening. And so sometimes, and sometimes I hear him, he'll say, shh. What? Shh. Listen. So sometimes we just sit. So I would just challenge you, put it on your calendar. Maybe it's just five minutes. Give him five minutes. Test it. And then the next thing, you know what's coming next, right? Test him with your money. In fact, he says, test me. Why don't you just try that? 
I've already told you, you know, I've never ever, not in 35 plus years, I've never ever seen anybody that ever trusted God with their finances to ever come up to me and say, don't work. I'm out of here. Just don't work. It stinks. If you ever preach that again, I'm going to stand up in the middle. I mean, I've never heard anybody do that. Because I've never seen anybody that became a giver ever regretted being a giver. Ever. And to know that God does reward, he's phenomenal. He's supernatural. So would you just try it for a period of time, see what happens? And I know there's, there's, there's some tension, and it has nothing to do with your money. It's faith tension. That's the tension you feel. And, and, and some of you are already thinking, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. Some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't have the money. Yeah, you do. Just test him. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're here this morning. What's your first step of faith? Well, that would be to trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because it's going to take faith. It's a phenomenal story that God so loved the world that he so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he sent himself. That God came to the earth, and out of his great love, to be in a relationship with us, out of his love for that, he was willing to deal with the problem that existed that keeps us from having that relationship, and that's a sin problem. And so what Jesus did on the cross, he said, I'm willing to go to the cross and die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. To pay the penalty. Why? Because I love you, and what I long for is to be in a relationship with you. And it's to believe that on the third day that he was raised from the dead and that he's alive. He's not dead. And some of you right now, you know what, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you can feel that thing. You don't know what it is. You're not sure. It's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's showing up right now. He's, he's personal. He's right there with you. And he's drawing you in, and he's saying, I love you. Give me your life. You can trust me. But it's an it's a issue of faith. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to, Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Maybe you would pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd say, Heavenly Father, I, I need your forgiveness. And this morning, I'm ready to take that first step of faith. And I'm going to tell you, I believe. I believe even though I can't, I don't understand it all. I don't. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you pulled it off, but you did. And I want to thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you're alive. That on the third day you were raised from the dead. I believe it. Can't explain it. It was supernatural. But I'm trusting you. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm telling you that from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Lord, uh, you are amazing. God, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to my family. Lord, you've been so good to me with all the things that I've been able to experience in my life. God, I've seen miracles. And Lord, there's been times when, honestly, I didn't do too good with the faith test. 
But you were so patient with me. Lord, on those days when I cursed even knowing you, told you I didn't believe in you, shook my fist at you, but you still faithfully loved me. Thank you for the reward of, of prayer. Thank you for the reward of giving. And that's just intimacy with you, trust in you. But the things that matter the most in my life, and Lord, that's time and money, relationships. Lord, grow us, grow us as a church into what you want us to be, Lord, so that we'll be a, an adequate reflection of you. So when people see this church and they see the kind of givers that we are, they'll just know that it's just you. And hopefully, Lord, that will be able to paint that picture of your love. And for all that you do, Lord, we'll be grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray.